Eddie Shore? Oh, piss on Eddie Shore. Old time hockey? Piss on old time hockey. You're blowing it. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Growing Up Punk Podcast, a podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. We are so glad you decided to join us today. It is a freezing cold day and week here where I am, so uh, wherever this finds you, I hope it brings you some joy and some warmth, uh, whether that's physically or otherwise. Maybe this interview will make your heart tingle with warmth. How about that? There are some nice feelings for you. If you like what we're doing on the show here, please go to growingpunkpod.com. There you will find access to everything you need uh, to hear more interviews, read articles, all that good stuff. Check us out on social media. We love interacting with you, reading your comments, hearing your thoughts. So if you have some, please share them with us. So today is a really exciting interview for me. Russ Rankin from Good Riddance joined me to discuss his top five favorite releases from Fat Records. Now, I've been listening to Good Riddance since the mid-90s, and some of those albums mean a lot to me, and so it was really cool to to talk with Russ to hear his thoughts on, on signing to Fat Records, kind of what was going on during that time. Um, yeah, we get into his top five albums, some I was familiar with, some I wasn't, and so it was cool to learn about some albums that I now need to go and listen to myself. We also dive a bit into my favorite Good Riddance record, which is Ballads of the Revolution, and uh, so it was really cool to kind of pick uh, Russ's brain on that album and, and get some insight and information on that, and so I am really excited for you to hear this. Um, Again, if you like what we're doing here, check us out online. Um, You can rate and review us as well on podcast apps. That helps us get in front of more people. Um, But otherwise, that's it from me. Here is my talk with Russ Rankin from Good Riddance. So what's the first kind of time you remember hearing about Fat Records? You kind of remember when that was, what the release was, kind of what was going on around then? Yes, uh, I, I had gone to see No Effects. Well, I went to see probably like 1989, 90, right around there. I went to see Poison Idea at Gilman Street. I went to all my shows back then at Gilman Street in Berkeley. I would go every weekend. So I went to see Poison Idea, and they didn't show up. And so No Effects became the default headliner. I'd never heard of them. And by the end of the show, I, I was I was like I was a fan because they were their music was was pretty fast and it was fun and they were really silly between songs and would tell jokes and and even though I was usually more into more serious punk like it, it was it was entertaining like it was it was a show you let you would leave and be like that's memorable like that was I was entertained by them and so my girlfriend and I at the time who I was with like. We 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 just started going back to see them whenever they came. They would come, you know, a couple times a year to Gilman Street, and so we started learning. You know, learn, we got their their back catalog, and and we were fans of No Effects. So we would go see them whenever they played, and and then I knew the I knew the singer called himself Fat Mike, and then they I think they put out the longest line EP and I saw the logo and I thought it was a really cool logo. And then I, you know, dug around a little bit and found out that it, it, Mike had started a label 
at this time, my band was, we were furiously demoing and working our asses off trying to make it, quote unquote, make it. And by make it, we mean like put it, getting an album and playing shows outside of our hometown. So we were playing right. anywhere we could. We were recording demos after demos. We were sending them to like 100 to 150 different labels. And so my guitar player and I, because uh, he'd, he'd gone a couple times to see NoFX and he liked them too. And we were like, well, fuck, let's send, let's send one to Fat uh, because Mike, Mike knows what's up and we like, we like his band. And so, so that's, that's what happened. And uh, we sent a demo and we got a handwritten letter back from him. And he liked a couple of the songs. Uh, and that's how it started. Yeah, that's really cool. Because at this point, like there, there wasn't probably, you know, a whole lot of prominent releases on the label yet, right? Like you guys were kind of, you know, I, I know there was, you know, there was some they'd been around for, you know, was it was like five, five, six, seven years kind of by the time you signed with them. I don't know when they. I don't know when the first release came out. You you probably know. I don't know. Yeah, I was I was just looking it up. I'm just I'm just blanking at the moment uh, what that was. But yeah, there wasn't you know a whole ton of releases before you guys signed. And so I mean, it, it's really cool that you kind of got to be a part of. Yeah, I think like Propagandi, Propagandi's first album, uh, Lagwagon's first album. I know those were out. Uh, no use for a name. Had released something. I think the Daily Grind maybe yeah, yeah. was out. Okay, yeah, some of those really early ones. And they were and um, yeah, there's there's the how we actually got signed is is a different story. But I I don't know if you want to know that or not. But that that's how we that's how we yeah. heard of Fat Records, and that's kind of like the the initial connection. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, maybe we can get into that some other time. But um, and I mean, obviously, you guys are, are still going, still releasing albums on Fat Records. What's kind of kept you with the label all this time? You know, I've I've seen and read that that they just kind of do you know one one record releases with bands and kind of give them that freedom to kind of keep releasing albums on the label, or if they want to go somewhere else, or you know, some bands have left and come back. What what for you guys has just kept you on that label for so long? We've never had anybody trying to get us away from it, first of all. Like, if ha- had we been really unhappy with Fat Records, we wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have had immediately anywhere else to go. Right. So fortunately for us, they, they've just been awesome from day one. Like, they, they've, they made our band happen. Like, we're from a small beach town, and they, they gave us the ability to, to travel all over the world and they they gave us the ability to work as hard as we wanted to work and they gave us all the resources and infrastructure to to make that happen and they never uh, they, they never tried to to push us one way or the other or dictate any sort of path and it was you know we're we didn't know any better or anything different, but then over through the years, you know, we've, we've met countless bands that we've toured with and a lot of bands that I'm still friends with to this day that we've toured with or, or played shows with. And, and eventually that, you know, you're sitting around backstage somewhere and you're and like a guy in a band just picks you to be the person that he unloads on about how unhappy they are with their label. And after hearing enough of those stories, I realized how fortunate we really were. Like for us, we were just like, oh, cool. Like 
they'll put our records out and then we can just fucking tour all the time. And it's just, just what we wanted to do. And, and they'll, and they'll make it happen. And but then like af- after hearing all these horror stories about other labels, we, we really, really, I really felt super, super fortunate. Yeah, well, it really doesn't really get better than that, you know, for a punk band, right? Like, you, you want to have that freedom. You're not really trying to, you know, get more commercial success, so to speak. I mean, you want to grow your band, and a label like that can easily do that. I think a lot of the times when when bands leave, you know, either, either to a major or, you know, to somewhere, maybe they can get more exposure, and which is great. I mean, that that's what bands want. But um, I, I think it's a good testament to, to Good Riddance and to Fat Records that, you know that that relationship has lasted so long, and I know there's there's many other bands that that have stuck with the label too. So, um, yeah, just always kind of curious to hear if that was just kind of a natural thing, or or like you said, nobody else was really you know hunting you guys down, and and it seemed to be a, a relationship that worked really well for for both parties. We're, we're really fortunate to to get onto that label at that time because it was it was like a boulder getting rolled up the side of a mountain, and then we got on right as it got to the top, and then it kind of snowballed down from there for a while like the the label blew up really big which you know i don't know if anybody could have predicted that uh but we we were working really hard and we we would have succeeded somehow and and a lot of times i think that luck is the residue of hard work but we were we were pretty fortunate like it was it was it was a sense of really good timing like we were in the right place at the right time we were visible we were pushing we were trying to get noticed and we're, we're just it all it all worked out yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and we could, you know, we could get more into that maybe some other time too. But um, yeah, so let's kind of dive into some of some of your favorite releases. So I I always love this because, you know, I'm always curious to hear what albums kind of influence you know my favorite bands, and uh, you know so. Hopefully, you know there there are some on, on the label that that you enjoy, and so we'll get into some of those. And so, thanks for uh, yeah taking the opportunity to to share the, a few of those with us. So the first one is Lagwagon's Trashed.
second album by Lagwagon, and it was released on January 4th, 1994. Do you remember hearing this album for the first time, or what was it about it that, that stuck with well, you? Because we were talking to Fat, and it was looking like we were going to be part of that, uh, I just started, I bought all the Fat, fat albums and, and was trying to like listen to what other kind of, you know, what, who are the other bands on this label? Like, what are we, what are we going to be in the midst of kind of thing? Also, you know, that without having anything to compare it to, I wanted to be like, well, fuck, is our band even good enough? Like, you, and if you look like let's putting on trash the first time I was like, fuck, we're, we're definitely not this good. Like these songs are great. And the production sounded so good. And, uh, I just remember, I mean, pretty much the, every time I listened to Lagwagon of that era or played with them, I would just watch Derek play drums and it was just blown away constantly. But the, the songs were great because they were fast and they were tight. Uh, there was like some humor to it, but it wasn't like overtly silly all the time. And right. it was just a really good mix of stuff. And, and then we started incorporating some of the, some, some stuff we heard in their music into some of our music, just sort of like, Maybe this sort of unconscious, we thought, well, we have to kind of sound like this now because we're on fat, which nobody had ever told us. But we've, we've sort of took it upon ourselves to, to, bring, to bring in some of the, like, the tempo changes and the stops, which, which weren't really part of our, our thing before that. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's cool if you, if you hear that influence and immediately it wants to, you know, it makes you want to become better musicians and a better band. I think that's a really, really cool thing. You know, it's not ripping off, right? It's, I mean, it's punk music. There's only so much you can do anyways, but I think that's cool for a release that, you know, was pretty young at that time for you to hear something you like so much and, and to have them as your peers as well and, you know, to be, you know, taken bits and pieces from each other so that's that's really cool this is actually an album i didn't get into until even kind of the last few years i mean i've been listening to Lagwagon for for a long time but i didn't get into them until maybe like let's talk about feelings which was a a few years later maybe four four years after that and and then kind of everything since then but i've gone back to this one and yeah it's really cool just to hear the different influences on it and and there's a lot of a lot of great songs on this one well there's there's like you know, Stoke and the Neighbors, which in hindsight, maybe that's that's a song, like a funny song about drunk driving that didn't really age well. But then, you know, there's like yeah. Island of Shame, <laughs> which is which is super mature and heady and and uh, smart and way ahead of its time, I thought. So it's it's kind of like a, it's all across the board. Yeah, yeah, and I think they kind of you know kept some of that going. You know, throughout the years too, good, a good mix of, of kind of serious and silly, and um, you know, but when it comes down to it, the music is is killer and it really stands up. So, yeah, great, great uh, first choice on that one. Uh, the second one we're going to go to is Propaganda supporting cast. That was sickening last week, by the way. What? Uh, that's what is going junk. on with you here? No, it's not. What is this stuff on here? We're hockey night in Canada and we're talking about saving the world and all that stuff. Let's talk hockey. Well, that's the whole idea behind December yeah. the 25th. Let's talk about some good guys. Okay. Let's talk about the troops. <laughs>
explain To many the distinction Between these mandatory Breaking group rights of submission In the rallies at Nuremberg Specifically the function The ritual serves In conjunction With what everybody knows So this one actually, technically it wasn't on Fat Records. It came out on G7 Welcoming Committee, but um, I, I read that Fat Mike helped kind of fund and get that label started. Yeah, I was, so I was uh, fudging oh, the lines there a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that, that's all good. I mean, and they had a, a history with them before, and so it's 
you know, definitely kind of goes hand in hand. Um, but yeah, propaganda. Like, I mean, they're they're from from my parts here, and so um, it's kind of cool having a band like that. You know, a very influential band on on a lot of different kind of punk bands. You know, whether it's um, you know kind of more political punk or even you know just other other styles of punk, like very uh, like a lot more technical than than some stuff. And so yeah, why why this band? Why this album? You know, because they've they had a handful of albums out by this time, so why is this the one that stands out to because you? Because I, I think that Dear Coach's Corner is one of like the greatest punk songs ever written. Yeah, and so good. Like I get I get emotional every time I listen to it. And I think that it's just I think it's a genius. And it encapsulates for me, like as a person who who feels the way I do politically and who knows that organized sports is so often weaponized for the glorification of war and the the military and how sad that is. And then also somebody who's so passionate about the game and almost feels as though it's, it's an affront to the game to smear it with this. And like just the way that the way that the lyrics are written is it's perfection it's like lightning in a bottle. Like it's, it's, um, it makes me emotional every time I listen to it and it makes me want to quit ever even trying to write lyrics again. <laughs> uh, and, and so like by that time, like I love propaganda. I always will. A- as the metal got more into it, I, I got less interested musically because I'm, I'm oh, just okay. not a metal person. Um, yeah. But that, that being said, like I, I love, I love that band. I love those guys and that song is like that's like the that's the mountaintop of songwriting in my book like it doesn't get better than that. Yeah. Have you guys had the opportunity like to play or tour with them since this album came out? The last time we played with Propagandi was probably Fest in Gainesville in 2012. Oh wow! Yeah, they're definitely not a band that seems to like hit the road that hard. I mean, even you know they're six hours down the road from us, and I mean I've seen them. I can think like twice, maybe three times. The but, joke at the label uh, was always that they didn't they didn't tour because they didn't have to because it you can you can live in Winnipeg for a hundred dollars. Like it, that was the joke. I, I, yeah, I mean I, I know it's not you can't live in Winnipeg for a hundred dollars, but it's it's less. Uh, maybe less of a grind than some other cities that somebody could live in. Uh, that was the, that was the like the joke on the label. I don't know if it's true or not. I don't, I don't yeah. know why they didn't do it. Yeah, I'd be, yeah, I'd be curious curious to hear that. Maybe it was just one of those things that, I mean, which is crazy because they're such talented musicians. I mean, they put out such fantastic albums, and I mean, they clearly put a lot of time and effort into those albums. Um, but I mean, that touring's not for not for every band, and if they or can smart, get their music they know out, that when and, they do show, when they do go out, like every show is going to be packed because people have been waiting and waiting to see them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Maybe just a different, different kind of ethic, you know. Like I know, like bands like you, like you, you said, you know, you just wanted to get that out there as much as you could, and, and I mean, for the most part. You know, punk bands have to do that, or smaller bands have to do that, just to to gain more fans, especially you know before social media and all that. But yeah, it it is an interesting thing how there are select bands like that that just kind of seem to grow 
kind of organically without really having to to push it and and maybe they're just happy to put their music out there and you know whatever comes comes kind of thing oh that's awesome uh the third one is no use for names hard rock bottom sixth album by no use for name it was released on june 16th 2002 another great band um you know very prominent in the in the skate punk melodic um pop punk scene on fat um yeah again this they had had a handful of albums out already by this one so uh why did you pick this one i i love all their stuff and I, tony is like one of my favorite songwriters of all time and the reason i picked yeah. that album is just because international u day kind of like your coach's corner it's it's one of those songs that like they lay awake at night wishing i'd written it like it's so beautiful and so hard-hitting and emotional and i remember at his memorial service joey k played it on acoustic guitar and sang it and like everybody in the whole place was just bawling and wow it's just a, a, a beautiful beautiful song and 
Tony, yeah. you know, I mean, Tony would roll out of bed and like write a beautiful song every day, but like that particular one, it just always sticks in my head and I always think about it. And I always think about uh, when we got the tour together, uh, how fun it was to, to watch that song, watch them play that song live because it got such a good reaction everywhere they went. Like they had tons of songs that everybody, the crowd would love and sing along with, but that one in particular, like you could tell it wasn't just me, like that hit people in the feels everywhere and so even though i look there's a lot of their stuff that i love um that particular song is why i chose that album yeah yeah and that's i mean that's a powerful thing when one song stands out enough to make a whole album stand out that's a a pretty um, incredible impact that you know that a song can have yeah that's a band that uh i never got to see live unfortunately i I don't know if they came through these parts that much or not. In the prairies, um, probably not. I don't. Yeah, I know. I still think about that every time I'm listening to an album. It's like, man. Unfortunately, a awesome, lot of bands but... did did Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, and that was it. And like we would tell, yeah. we would tour yeah, which... through the prairies almost every year, and we would tell people like, "Dude, you got to go. The shows are great. People are stoked. It's awesome." And like, we always had great shows. We always had great shows and in Alberta and Saskatchewan and, and Manitoba. And uh, we would always tell people to go, but I think a lot of, a lot of bands just skipped it. Yeah, well, it, it is a trek, you know, and there's not a whole lot kind of on the American side underneath of those provinces. So I, I get it, but I mean, like to us, you know, uh, when I saw you guys here, I was still living in a small town in Manitoba. Uh, any chance you, you know of the Dauphin Kings hockey yes. team? Oh man, that's incredible! That's a Manitoba <laughs> Junior Hockey League. Yeah, Junior A. Yeah, yeah. so I that that's the that's the town I grew up in, and so you know I saw you guys when I was in high school. I I, I saw you again when I moved here, but the first time I saw you, um, so we drove up here on a, on a school night or whatever, and and uh, yeah, I mean like to kids like us, like I, I couldn't believe a band like you guys were, were coming anywhere close to us, you know, so we always counted it as a privilege and a gift when, when bands did decide to tour through here. And yeah, like you said, especially then, like the shows always seemed super good. And so our last show in just, Regina was, which I wasn't that long ago, was really good. Yeah. Yeah. At the exchange. Off that was, their heads, I don't know, I think. was that four? F- yeah. Yeah. Four or five was, years ago uh, or something like that. That was a great show. Yeah. Yes, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, a good testament again that, you know, if because you guys came through here so much and there's still enough people willing to come That's out. That's the and, club that we played the first time we went guys, there so. in 95, too, same club. Oh, wow. Yeah, the first time I saw you guys was at uh, the Riddell Center at the university, a bit, bit bigger of a place. I can't remember uh, who that show was with. That must have been. It would have been like in, in Regina. 2000, 2001. Oh, yeah. Like, okay, yeah, Peter, Peter probably did the show. Yeah, 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 we we did play there a bunch of times. Yeah, those those were awesome shows. I still got some pictures from that, my old old uh, film camera. Yeah, those are good memories. But uh, yeah, getting getting through this list, the number four is Tilt with Till It Kills. <laughs>
second studio album by Tilt and was released on April 1995. This is one of those bands that, that I've never really heard a whole lot on. I never saw them live. I'm not sure if, you know, again, they came up this way or not. But, um, yeah, wh- why does this band and album strike a chord for you? They were kind of... They, they, their release came right after right after ours, I think. Their first release on Fat. It, they'd already had another album out, but we we and we didn't. But um, they were from sort of the same area, like they're from the East Bay, and we met them the, on the first Fat Records tour, which was before our before God and Country came out. But it was like that month, and it was us and Strung Out, Tilt, No Use, and Lagwagon. And awesome, and we met them, and and we just we we hit it off really good. And then, in in the spring of '95, No Use took us to Europe for the our first time, but the tour bogged down because it like half the tour got sick, like so sick to the point that we couldn't couldn't have shows. Yeah, so we we all came home, and Destiny, who was the, our booking agent in Europe. Like later on, so the next that next fall is in September. They booked us and Tilt a co-headlining tour, and it was a it was a gnarly tour. It was about seven weeks. It was all squads and youth centers through Europe, and it was a it was really gnarly. And uh, we felt we owed it to the booking agency after the after the no use tour thing had happened that like we wanted to make sure that we could show them as good riddance like hey like we'll come through for you guys and but we shared a bus with tilt and just got to be really really close with them and sort of we we felt felt a kinship with them kind of lyrically and politically like they're cut from a little bit of a different cloth than than a band like lagwagon or a band like strung out and we we felt a kinship with them and also i just thought that cinder was such an amazing singer and getting, you know, playing with them every night and then sound, watching them sound check. It was like, I'd go up to sound check and I'd tap on the mic and go, tech, check, one, two. And then Cinder would go up there and sing like a Janis Joplin song, pitch perfect, acapella. Uh-huh. And I just felt like the, the, the worst singer in the world. But like, she <laughs> she was really, really a great singer, super sharp. And I love her lyrics on that album because they're, they're potent and they're, they're coming from a, uh, a lot of them are coming from a feminist perspective, obviously, which in my opinion, the punk world was, is, was, and is lacking, but they weren't yeah. beating you over the head with it. They were very like clever and tongue in cheek and kind of like you had to kind of be on the know to get it or listen to the song twice to get it. And I just think that the, the songs are great. The lyrics are great. And I just, it reminds me of those seven weeks we spent with them on tour, grinding it out grinding it out in Europe. Yeah, well, that's really rad. Yeah, they're they're definitely, you know, not your kind of typical what you would think of as Fat Records punk band, but yeah, really unique band like you said, a lot of um cool stances to share and and something different and and that's another thing that I like about Fat Records is you know, they were always willing to you know, have bands that maybe just kind of wanted to do something similar um, or bands that really wanted to kind of, you know, push the envelope. And 
and there was there was kind of lots for everyone to take from there. You know, if you just kind of want to, you know, feel good, feel good punk, you could have that. If you wanted something with more depth and more, you know, kind of dynamics, then then there were bands um, like Tilt as well. And so, yeah, really, really cool release for the label. They had a really, they had a really East Bay sound, and and I think that like what what you're talking about is there there was there seemed to be this misconception that there was a fat record sound, and maybe there was like when Lagwagon's first album was out and it was just that and no effects. But I don't, right. I, think, I don't think that that lasted long. I think that there was a, a huge variance of styles and genres on the label in almost no time. And Tilt was a big part of that. Like Tilt didn't sound like anybody else. Yeah, yeah. And maybe again, it was just, you know, when, when I first discovered Fat Records bands, um, you know, again, it was a small town, didn't have internet. And so I kind of only heard, you know, the you know, the main kind of five, six bands that, that did have that kind of skate punk flavor. And so it kind of wasn't until later that I kind of got into some of the other bands and, and kind of figured out that, you know, okay, it's not all the same, but I mean, that's kind of a general, you know, if you kind of mention fat records, someone's like, okay, you know, it's probably within this realm or something close to it, but you know, not, not everything fit that exact mold for sure. And the last one we're going to touch on here is, uh, Dillinger 4's Civil War. I know that's bad for our image, but I don't give a damn. Bye. 
fourth album by them was released on october 14th 2008 its recording and production took place over several years and its release date was pushed back several times so it was six years between this album and the one before it which is um, a pr- pretty long span for you know a punk band so you must have been super excited when this one was officially released you know what's funny is i i had listened to a little bit of dillinger four and knew who they were and i actually knew them better for the the club that they ran in Minneapolis, the the Triple Rock. Oh, okay. Like I we would play there and my other band played there more, only crime, but we would play there and, and everybody just knew that that was it, it was the Dillinger Four guys. But I wasn't super familiar with their music. And then one summer Only Crime was touring across Canada and with a guy that we brought with us, Robin, who who sold merch, he was driving a lot and he would play he would play it this album and and i was like holy fuck like because i'd heard dillinger four songs before and i thought they they sounded like i like i loved their sound and they reminded me of, a, of an old band from st louis called um ultraman they reminded me of ultraman so they had this really kind of husky midwestern sound yeah. and i dug it but civil war sounded different to me. The vocals sounded different the way they were recorded or mixed. And I was like, fuck, there's every single song on this album is, is the best song on the album. Like sometimes that happens. Like that happens with it. It's happened to me with a couple Pennywise albums where there's no filler. Like every song is the best song on the album. And that's how I felt about civil war. And I just could not stop listening to it. And every song was just long enough where you were like, it would end and you'd be like, fuck, I want to hear that song again. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, it was the perfect album. Like they just did, they did everything right. There's the songs are just long enough. They're, they're bam, they're done. And you want to hear it again. And, and every song is got super hooky choruses and great melodies. And I, I still, to this day, I listen to that album. When I put it on, I listen to the whole thing through. I never, I don't ever just mm. listen to part of it. Yeah, and that's pretty incredible when a band can do that. So I guess it was worth uh, all those years in between, you know, whatever it was that they were, were yeah, working on or why, why it got I mean, prolonged. I've, I've met them briefly at, a, at a, a festival. I don't know too much about them. but um, and, I, and now since then, I've listened to a lot of the other, their other releases, and I still like Civil War the best. Like I think it's just it's a perfect, perfect album because you always want to make a record that when it's done, you, people, you want people to be like, oh, God, I'm glad that's over. You, you want him to go like right back to the beginning again because it ended too soon, and that's how right. I feel about Civil War. That's how I feel about every song on there. Uh, like they they hit you twice, once or twice with like this the best chorus you've ever heard, and then the song's over and there's another one. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That definitely makes me excited to to go back to it. Like I was listening through it uh, a bit this week, and um, but yeah, I definitely want to dive back into it, especially with the way you described it. So, yeah, that's that's really cool to to hear. You know, and it came out of nowhere because stood like, out they, so much they're on here. a label, but I was never really familiar with them. You know, and like, and if, right. if Robin hadn't been driving us across Canada, like I may not have heard it. So, I'm just stoked. Yeah, that's crazy. Did they release much after that know. album? Okay. Yeah, I'll have to go back and yeah, they're another one of those bands that I mean, there's lots of them, I'm sure you have those bands too where it's like you're familiar with them, you know, maybe you know what label they're on, you've heard you've or you've heard some songs, but you know, for whatever reason you just haven't really spent the time digging into it. I mean, there's so much music to do that with and so it's it's hard, but I mean, it, it's always great when you get such a great review from, you know, another established musician that that has, you know, that is such a fan of of an album and so I mean, music's um, subjective, so like with what what I think is great, you may not think is great, but I know I know what you mean. Yeah, well, but I mean, you're one of my favorite favorite musicians, so if you say it's good, then there's got to be got to be something there. So, uh, yeah, that's that's awesome. That's that's five albums. Uh, that stand out to you, and there's there's plenty more on Fat Records, and um, I mean you know people can hear that on on uh, me and David's episode. But well, Russ, I really appreciate you taking the time to to share about these, and um, I mean I've got tons of other questions for you, but maybe we can connect some other time and talk more about Good Riddance. You can ask and, me now if you want. Go through some of those. I'm I'm available. Well, how, how about how about this? I, I got a. I'll I'll just touch on uh, I'll touch on one of my um, one of my favorite Good Riddance albums if that's okay. Sure. And uh, yeah, so the so let's uh, just talk briefly about ballads from the Revolution.
So this came out in 1998. Uh, this was kind of my my first um, introduction to to Good Riddance. I think maybe my brother got the CD or something. Um, but it just it was kind of I hadn't heard anything like this before. Is it might have even been the first kind of like you know more political um, punk album I would have gotten into. And at that point. You know, I was in maybe like what, like grade nine or something in a small town. I didn't really have any context to, you know, really what you were talking about lyrically. But there was something there that just kind of hooked me in and grabbed me. And and still to this day, I love love going through this album. So you guys had two albums um, out before this one. Uh, but to me, this album, you know, just stands out above those ones. And just kind of solidifies, you know, as one of my favorite um, albums from you. So was was this album kind of a natural progression for you guys as a band, or, or what do you remember about writing and recording this one from the previous two? Right, writing it was was contentious. We were starting to have that. We were going through that thing that most bands go through, where like all of a sudden it, it matters who wrote what song. And there was a lot of, uh, yeah, it wasn't really a happy scene writing, writing it, uh, for the most part. Like you guys are butting yes. heads on yes. kind of like topics or styles or what? Just on like songwriting, songwriting credits. I mean, oh, okay. I I'm not going to get into it, but but it was it yeah, was no, like fun, yeah. I wish I wish I could tell you like oh man it was it was so great we were all just like feeling it and and our, we do have albums in our in our catalog that that did you know that were done that that way this this one was was a little bit tougher than like for instance the previous one and also but we one thing that we did have going on is that we all of us were wanting to go into a a little bit of a harder direction. Yeah. Like my I came when we got signed to Fat Records, like all I was listening to was was Born Against, Econo Christ, um, you know, ba- bands like that. And I wasn't listening to melodic stuff or like happy stuff. And we the funny thing is like I say that, but like there's like the cheesiest love songs are on ballads too. So um, yeah. we we wanted to hit it a little bit harder. And and at the end of ballads, you know, that's sort of where we, we parted ways with Ryan Green as an engineer and a producer. Okay. And not in only only like sonically were we wanting something different. Like we we all love Ryan to this day. And and that guy uh, taught us so much about the studio and and how to record an album and so many things that we're like I'm I'm forever indebted to Ryan for for just a million a million little things because we we came in to do Forgotten Country not knowing anything so anyway it was our third album uh, with him and we were starting to get into situations where we were wanting to you know there'd be some screaming and and. He he would be surprised that we wanted to keep it, or or like a feedback track. He'd be surprised yeah. that we wanted to have something that was atonal and and kind of like screechy and and so we were pushing to we were pushing to play play harder to play 
you know, and we were touring a lot with bands like Sick of It All and Ensign and and bands like that. And so we were we were influenced yeah. a lot by by harder music anyway. Uh, so that was the that was the main thing. Like stylistically, it was like songs like uh, so "Choices Made" maybe is on that album. I think. Yeah. Uh, Years from now is on that album. I think. Uh, yeah, so good. And then there's the, like the first like the first song that's like a classic, a classic uh, loop because like a lot of the songs on our on our most of our albums there's like a few songs like three two to four songs that luke writes the music for our guitar player and then i come up with a way yeah. to sing it and then the rest of the songs i write on guitar and like fertile fields like the first time in practice when i heard him play that minor like that a minor chord and it sounded so creepy and cool and then but then he as what happens a lot is that he he writes the song and then i go to try to start singing it and it turns out that what he thought in his mind what the verse was, I thought the chorus was, and vice versa. Like we're totally, we're totally like oil and water when it comes to trying to navigate a song structure. So that song, uh, what ended up being the the chorus, you know, it seems so cruel that part. Like I, I think Luke envisioned that being the verse. Oh, okay. But oh, it but it all worked out. And then having Chuck scream the you know the, the call and response vocals in the chorus, I also thought was a really cool thing. And then uh, we threw on that guitar melody over the ending, over that outro, which I thought was really cool. But like that's 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 a typical like happy accident, not happy accident, but like that's a typical like Luke comes in with a with a just a really awesome riff or two, and we build a song out of it. Like that's. That's how Way to the World was as well on the on the album before that. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a great. Uh, one. And then there, there's yeah, well, a. No, what were you gonna say? Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was. I thought you were done. Yep, keep going. I was gonna say like that. So like, there's these hard songs, and we're getting into playing harder music. But then there's also, you know, not with him, and there's also Genie, which was, like the. When I brought Genie in, the the guys looked at me and were like, "They're like, are you fucking kidding me?" Like, <laughs> oh, it's such a good song though. It helps to kind of break it, up the album it, it a little bit and give it some cool. dynamic. It ended up being a thing that everybody kind of got into, and uh, it ended up, yeah, it ended up being like a, a pretty cool, a pretty good time. But it was definitely a departure for us. It was definitely something that was not in our toolbox previously. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just as you're talking about it, I can just hear the songs in my head, and I'm going to listen to this album again tomorrow. Um, but, yeah, I, what was cool is, you know, when this album came out, again, like, for me, I didn't have, you know, that much context or, you know, other references. And so I, I would have never even picked up on, you know, like, oh, like, this song sounds out of place or, you know, uh, the, the, there's a cover song on, on this album, right? Yeah, um, a, kiss, a Kiss song. Yeah, yeah, which I mean, I would have, I don't even know if I knew who Kiss was then. And so, you know, again, I love these memories for me because it was just all new and exciting for me. And these songs stand out still, still to this day. So, yeah, just kind of, so you mentioned a bit, you know, kind of about aggression and melody and 
And I've always loved that about good riddance. You you know how to just meld those two so nice. You know, sometimes it's just, you know, kind of more straight heavy. Sometimes it's just straight uh, melodic and sometimes it's kind of mixed. How do you, you know, is that just kind of a natural thing, kind of whatever fits? Or when you're writing, is it like, okay, this is going to be an aggressive one, so try to like stay away from the melody? Or how does how does that kind of all play out um, when you guys were writing or, or how you do it now? I think that that was still a point where I hadn't figured it, I hadn't quite figured it out yet. One of the, one of the things that we learned when we went after that to the blasting room for the first time to work with Bill and Stefan was Bill, Bill had listened to all our previous three albums and he sat us down. He's like, he's like, look, this, each one of these records sounds like two different singers. He goes, why don't you find a way to make it sound like one guy? And I'd, I'd never thought about it before, and and so what his, what his suggestion was is like, don't don't try to sing like the super melodic pretty guy, and don't try to don't try to sound like like you know super screamy hardcore guy. Like be be somewhere in the middle, but be consistent. Like listen, his example was Milo and the Descendants, and he's right. Like Milo's voice is gruff. And sort of rough around the edges, but it's melodic, but it's always the same. And so Milo can hit it hard, and he can hit it soft, and it always sounds like Milo. And I really took that to heart. But so, but when we did ballads, I still hadn't gotten there yet. So to me, when I listen to ballads, it sounds like two guys. It sounds like the melodic singer oh. guy, and it sounds like yeah. screaming and yelling guy. And I hadn't quite, it hadn't been brought to my attention yet that that maybe that wasn't the best approach. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's interesting that you say that because again, I mean, because I've been listening to that album, you know, for 20 years or whatever, it's, it's just a good riddance album to me. And so I, I don't, I don't mind that as much. I, I definitely understand, um, you know, what Bill and Stefan were saying. And I mean, I could definitely hear that now in your, in your newer albums, but I don't know. I, I think it's, it, it can kind of work both ways. I mean, sometimes a more aggressive voice works for a certain for a certain style of song, and and vice versa. But yeah, I guess those are the kind of things you learn. And when you get to spend time, you know, with with seasoned producers like that, they kind of give you that input. That's like, oh, okay, maybe I can kind of shift, you know, my skill a little bit to to kind of suit the music a little bit better. Well, I think it helps like to unite it. I think it helps to unite the sound of a record, which I think we yeah, I think yeah, we sure. had been even with ballads. I think it's 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 schizophrenic. It's back and forth. And while while you could have that, you could have the music do that. When the vocals do it too, it's to me like it's a little bit too jarring. Like listening back now, knowing what I know now, like like the Milo principle would have would have helped balance. I think be be a little yeah. bit more of a of a smooth ride through. Sort of you know sampling all of these different musical styles that we were getting into and also that were that were very much our own uh like fertile fields is you know there's no other band that would write a song like that yeah and so i think yeah, I that plus it's like i can i can sing through these and and hit them hard because i don't really have a smooth voice like i don't sound like brandon from the killers so like i'm i don't have a smooth voice so it's already going to sound punk it's going to sound rough when i sing uh so you know, like, and as you said, like our albums later on, I think we've, we've, 
we've reined it in to the to a good spot. But then I also have I have Chuck there who can scream. I have Luke who can scream. Like I have people that can like guys in the band, we can make it sound more percussive or more angry or as the case may be with backing vocals where where they need to go. So that doesn't have to all be the lead vocal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, and and it's it's you know as you grew as a band, you kind of you realize, like you said, like Luke and Chuck, you know, they can kind of add their pieces too, and it doesn't all have yeah. to be on you, and and so that sometimes that just comes with time and and uh, you know circumstances and experience, and um, I mean it's it's still gonna I'm still gonna love love the vocals on that album. That's not gonna change it, but uh, it, it does make me now when I go back and listen to it, I'm I'm gonna be more. I'm going to have a pick your ear kind of trying to pull out well, those cool parts. That, it's we'll, cool that we'll, that's we'll, your we'll, favorite. That's that's not everybody's favorite. So that's that's cool. Well, yeah, and I think I mean a lot of, with a lot of my favorite albums, it's not necessarily even that I think it's like the best sonically. It's just, you know, it stands out because when I heard it, it was something new. Um, it was something exciting. It's just it's always brought me back. So I mean, sometimes there's those memories too. But I I love the songs. I like I said I love the the melodic and the aggressive and just kind of how it pulled me in these directions that I hadn't really been pulled in when I heard this album. And so I mean, I love all your records. Um, this one for you know just kind of those few reasons stands out a bit. But um, what are you finding? Kind of like you mentioned um, that you're kind of still writing now and working working on stuff, and you're still kind of releasing albums every few years. Um, which I've I read that you are kind of the you know kind of spearheading the the writing and recording and stuff on that. What are you finding is is still inspiring you to to write and and create? kind of these days you know as you're you're getting older you've seen a lot more you know you've kind of been there and done that so to speak you know you've put out you know 10 or whatever awesome albums like what are you finding you still kind of have left to to put out there like like the easy answer would be like well 2020 like what there's like a million punk songs to be written about about what's going on in my country yeah very true it's not really, that's not really what, what gets me because it's the, the saddest thing about um, like from 20, 2007 to 20, 2012, we didn't play at all. I didn't even right. see, I saw Chuck, but I didn't see Luke for like five years or Sean. Wow. And, and then we started playing again and we're sitting there playing like Last Believer at practice and I'm thinking to myself like, this song could be written about right now, like today, like, or, or, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, what happened in the, our capital? Like it's sort of, it's sort of disheartening when you write these songs as a, as, as a more or less naive young, young person. And you're like, this song is going to, is going to lift people up and empower them. And, and we're going to overcome the, you know, the, the plutocracy and it, it's going to be killer. And, and you realize that it doesn't do any of that stuff. And you also realize, but you know, you realize too that it has a, a much more profound effect uh, personally with people. And ultimately those people go out and make their part of the world a little bit better. Like, so it's not a, it's not a total lost cause, but it's sort of sad when like we wrote last believer, probably like 1993 and it could be about today. And that's that's kind of fucked yeah, up. Yeah, which and is so crazy. It sort of makes it not 
it makes me not be like, oh, this current event is happening. I'll write a song about it and it'll get better. Like it sort of took the air out of those tires for me. What my what my what yeah. my struggle is not really struggle, but and you'll probably hear this from most people that that do this is is that no matter what, if I'm sitting here and my I look over across the room and there's my guitar, like at some point I got to get up and play it. I have to. Yeah. I can't stop myself. And then once I start playing it, fuck. Now there's songs. Now there's like melody ideas, and like pretty soon there's two songs, three songs. Like I did a. About a week and a half ago, I did an online Zoom songwriting class with Rhett Miller, who's my favorite, favorite songwriter in the entire world, Tops. He's the singer of Old wow, 97s. that's awesome. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. But his, like, I told you about, like, Tony's lyrics and, like, Chris's lyrics on Coach's Corner. Like, Rhett Miller is the guy yeah. that ultimately makes me want to quit trying to write songs. And he had wow. an online songwriting class. So it was an hour and a half. There was, like, 200 of us on Zoom. And he said that songwriting is magic. He's like, you sit down and there's nothing. And you create magic. Yeah. But that's how it is. It's like, you sit here, I'm watching a hockey game or whatever, and like, every once in a couple of minutes, I'll look over at my guitar. And I like try to look, and I look back at the TV, and then I look back at the guitar, and like, pretty soon the guitar's in my hands, and then pretty soon I'm banging on it, and like, next thing you know, there's a melody. And, and that's just, I can't stop. Like, it's not really a thing that I, I haven't found a way to turn it off whether I, you know, in a band or not in a band. And so it's th- those, that's where the songwriting comes from for me, you know, and then obviously once I've got, a, you know, some structure and a melody, I set the bar pretty high for myself lyrically. Uh, so then I got to start trying to write words and how can I write something that's relatable and something that hasn't been already said a million times how can I, mm. how can I write something that might speak to somebody who's right now feeling um, undervalued or marginalized or like they don't count? Right. Like, how can I write something that's going to lift somebody up and empower them a little bit, or just make their day a little bit better? You know, and like I, I learned a lot actually from that Rhett Miller class about songwriting. Um, people were joking with me, like, "Dude, you should be given a class." It's like, no, dude, like. Rhett Miller, Rhett Miller's forgotten more about songwriting than I will ever know. And so that was a really cool experience to be part of. And it really gave me a lot of stuff to think about. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, yeah, like well, it's especially- mostly just you're yeah. sitting there and the guitar's there and the next thing you know, you have to play it. Like that's just how it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm the same. Like I'm, I, I'm also a musician and a songwriter and it's, you know, I'll get through those times where it's like, man, I, I I got nothing coming to me and I'll just pick it up and next thing it's like, oh man, like, you know, and that's what's so cool about songwriting where we don't need to, you know, go on a big long spiel about that. But, you know, it's it's one of those things, like you said, like magic, right? It's like one second, yeah. there's nothing. Three minutes later, it's like, man, like there's just something that just kind of came to me or I was influenced by whatever yeah. it was. And, and now I've just created something that, you know, maybe a whole bunch of other people are really going to Another enjoy. thing that's so, cool about that yeah. is what Rhett what, what, Rhett Miller's thing was is like I, I I overthink like when I go to write lyrics like I it has to be perfect every time and his his whole thing was like you gotta you gotta you gotta like mess it up you gotta roll around in it you gotta like just be kind of like crummy at first because you can always rewrite but if you don't have something there to look at and rewrite you're never gonna have a song and he yeah. talked about when he worked he worked for a plumber 
and his job back in the day we were for plumber and his job was to like get the old pipe and shoot water in one end and it would all the gunk that was stuck in would come out the other end. He goes, that stuff that comes out of the pipe, that's your first hundred songs. Like you have to write, you have to write crummy songs to ever write good ones. It, it made, it made me feel better about like, like just grab the pen and write some lyrics, even if they're stupid, like just write something and then go in and tinker and then go in and like rewrite and fix. Uh, because like I'm, I'm, t- I'm such a critic of myself. I'm like, it's got to be perfect as soon as I set the pen down, and it's like, no, it doesn't. Yeah, well, that's it's really encouraging and exciting to hear someone like you that's been writing songs for so long that still kind of has that excitement and and desire to to figure those things out because there are lots of bands that you know they kind of you know find that one thing that they're good at and do and they're fine to stick with it and there's nothing wrong with that but it is you know it is a cool thing when i guess that's just creativity right like sometimes creativity dries up and then sometimes it just kind of keeps going because like you said you can't stop it and so that that makes me really excited and i'm sure many others you know at the potential from for more music from you um so what kind of do you have any plans for the coming year i know it's kind of hard to know what that is but um, well, the guys is there... the guys are starting to bug me about about new songs uh so there's that so i've got you know i've got logic pro on my computer and i've got a bass and a guitar and so the way logic i don't know if you use logic or not but you can basically, I can basically sit here in my living room and record drums, bass, guitars, guitar overdubs, guitar leads, everything, and then go to yeah. a rehearsal space and I can record vocals, du- vocal doubles, harmonies, everything. And I can send the guys complete demos of songs that I've written. So right now I'm in a stage where I have, you know, a handful of, of songs and I need to write. And I kind of even know how the vocal melody is going to go, but I haven't written lyrics yet. So the next step is to write okay. some lyrics and then head down to the rehearsal space and bang out some vocals on it and then send them to the guys and see what they think. Uh, at the same time, I've got somebody who's interested in putting out a second solo album for me. And so I'm writing uh, some more stripped down acoustic style stuff uh, for to that end. Okay, well, that's cool. Yeah, nice nice to have, you know, two different kinds of outlets as well. Uh, you know, gives you gives you a bit more freedom and and kind of the stuff you can write and yeah, that that works great that you can, you know, that you can do all that, you know, like you have the the skills and gifts to to play guitar and to sing and all put all that stuff together and, and my guitar uh, playing is passable. Like, like my guitar playing is good enough to like show Luke my idea and then he plays it a thousand times better. Yeah, well, that's sometimes good enough. And man, yeah, I just want to end saying that uh, the last time you put out uh, was to twenty nineteen, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, that came out this summer. I was uh, driving through the mountains. I was heading out to BC with my family, and and uh, man, that album just that was the perfect time. Like I listened to that album so many times on those drives through the mountains, and, and there's very few albums that that do that for me, where it's like you know, where I can listen to it over and over again. And, and, uh, so man, I, I can't That's wait really to, cool. to hear what else you have. And, and, uh, yeah, you know, just having that experience, you know, being in the mountains, which I always love and, and, uh, you know, 
spending eight, ten hours a day, whatever, driving and just listening to that album over and over again. And yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it was in the, my top five albums that year. I'd have to go back and, and listen to that episode. But um, yeah, always, always love when you guys put out music. It's always super consistent and there's a lot to take away from it. It's always too short as, a lot of, as lots of punk albums are. But um, yeah, excited to see kind of how you take... Uh, the things that you've digested in the last couple of years and kind of how that comes out in your creativity. So, yeah, keep it up. Keep putting out music. There's still still guys like us that, that want to hear it. So thanks for, yeah, for taking the time to to speak with me today and to, to share uh, albums that are special to you and also an album that is special to me and many others. It's been really cool. Yeah, just getting to talk with you and, and ask questions. So, really appreciate you taking the time to be Thanks, here. Thanks, Thanks for taking the time, man. Appreciate it. And they're looking for talent for winners. Oh, oh my years of publicity, all the fashion shows, radio bugs for nothing. <laughs>